Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2417. Today we're going to talk about a book that is a very interesting history about a Bugatti race car driver by the name of Alexander Graves who became a hero of the French resistance against the German occupiers. Fascinating story, wonderful read. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in beautiful Austin, Texas, where I hear it actually has finally gotten cool or maybe cold by Austin, Texas considerations, considering the warm summer they had with a very special returning guest by the name of Paul Ermon. Paul, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready to put this Bugatti in gear, <laughs> shove this lever across the straight, cut gears and get going. All right. Now, listeners, he said the word Bugatti, and there's a reason for that. And we're going to get into that in a minute. For you regular listeners, you can go back to 2017, show number 868, uh, to learn more about what we're going to be talking about. But I encourage you to stay with us today because what we're going to be talking about is a incredible book that Paul has authored. They've done a new printing, a little bit of an update on this, and it's a fascinating story. But one thing that I asked my guests now, Paul, that I didn't ask you when you were last on the show was to share something about yourself that people don't know. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lead in here because your background include, includes script writing, and you even acted in the movie, the cult classic, Death Race 2000, can you tell us a little bit about your previous life? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, when I got to Hollywood, I, uh, I still looked like something in a suit. So <laughs> I was hired to be a sort of bright young man, which is almost a profession back then in Hollywood. So I worked for production companies and agencies. But I always realized that actors were having all the fun. And I knew I would eventually be a writer, which, in fact, I have become. But I met the nuttiest director ever, a lovely guy named Paul Bartell. And he had somehow secured funding for a Roger Corman. Now, Roger Corman's the guy. Uh, Marty Scorsese started with him. Coppola, uh, the guy who did Avatar. And he made low-budget movies, including one called Death Race 2000. And Death Race 2000 was based on an absolutely absurd, politically incorrect <laughs> plot premise that there was to be a cross-country race where drivers would get points for how many spectators they knocked out. And so a cast was assembled, which included David Carradine, and believe it or not, a pre-Rocky Sylvester Stallone. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and, and they needed, get this, a guy in a suit, the federal agent who pursued them. And as I said, I was a guy in a suit. So they hired me wow. to work on this insane 15-day production where everybody worked for minimum. And uh, we we had a good time. 
And Paul Bartel, in his nutty way, was a terrific director. And Death Race 2000, including a scene where Sylvester Stallone throws a plate of Alfredo macaroni in my face, <laughs> has, has, has become something of a cult classic. And people still approach me today and point to me and say, was your hair once really black? And I said, <laughs> yes. I said, yes. That was me in the course of the movie, including one lovely scene where there were three beautiful girls face down, nude on massage tables. Oh, my God. Now, how how that was worked into a story of a cross-country car race, thank the Lord I have forgotten. <laughs> well, thankfully, people don't come up and throw Alfredo in your face anymore. Because uh, <laughs> that, exactly. that could be something. Well, that's, you know, I'll tell you, that's got to be one of the craziest stories for that question. And that is something people don't know about you. So everybody will have to run out and rewatch Death Race 2000. Uh, yeah. And boy, how far some of those people have come for sure. And you have too, because I want to talk about this book because it's really, really cool. It's a wonderful novel. So allow me to give you a reintroduction. Paul Ehrman is an author whose book, Ark of Triumph, a novel about courage, cars, and love, has been kind of reformulated a little bit. It's an emphatically a novel with automobiles at its beating heart. His book is the culmination of a passion for motor cars Paul has embraced throughout his entire life. While he's working for production companies as a scriptwriter and a screenwriter, Paul is writing passions, what things are passionate about for him, and combined his talents for the love of the Bugatti. This novel is about a French Grand Prix driver and their involvement in the resistance during World War II. It's based on the true story of very brave and selfish efforts to defeat the Nazis during their occupation of France. Uh, this book is now published by Donald Toms at Dante's Press, and we'll put a link to how you get your copy because it would make an awesome holiday gift for those hard-to-buy-for car people in your life. We'll take a short break. We'll thank our sponsors. We'll be back to talk a little bit more about Ark of Triumph. We'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collector's Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collector's Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So Paul, now this is a true story which makes it very very interesting and it's about a Bugatti race car driver by the name of Alexander Graves who became somewhat of a hero in the French resistance. So one of the questions I typically ask people is what inspires you? And in this case, what inspired you to write this story? Well, that's a lovely question. 
What inspires me to write the story is an early childhood experience of being in France as a young boy. My father was a writer also, a different kind, doing research. And to me, though Paris may be the city of light, to a kid from Colorado, it was a dark and gloomy place, and the shadow of World War II still hung over Europe. On the Champs-Élysées in Paris, there was a dealer who sold pre-war cars. So there was a showroom full of Bugattis, Delage, Delahays, and Talbots. Oh, my. And they were these fabulous, unrestored, but still beautiful, high-wheeled cars of the glamorous racing and motoring life of the 1930s. And I was just fascinated by them. And then I read, Ken Purdy was a, a, a fine automotive writer, and I read a piece by him on the fact that three Bugatti drivers were involved in the French resistance. But he referred to them very generally. But it was such an interesting, I guess as a writer, we'd call it a hook, that I began years of research and reading, and I discovered that indeed it was true uh, that three of the Bugatti drivers, chief among them a guy named Robert Benoist, a, a, a great-looking, life-loving, successful race car driver. I believe he actually won Le Mans in uh, the tank version of a Bugatti, had become very active in the resistance and were credited with stopping German troop movements and blowing up power pylons and generally facilitating, you know, D-Day uh, quite specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, my guy, Robert Benoist, actually survived the war, which the other two drivers did not, and ironically lost his life after the war driving a minor race in, of all places, Brazil. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, but before that happened, him and Louis Dreyfus and a mysterious Englishman who drove under the pseudonym of Grover Williams were active in the resistance. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Robert Benoist, as a hero, is buried in the famous Pierre Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. And what made the story interesting, well, there are many factors, but other than the, you know, the courage and the stuff they did and the way they brought their driving skill and ingenuity to their work, was that Bugatti himself was in an ambiguous position because Bugatti was not political. All he cared about were cars. And so... When the Germans took over the Bugatti factory in eastern France to convert it to the manufacture of torpedoes for the German U-boat effort in the North Atlantic, there was a great conflict. And I've chosen to focus on my guy torn between his love and loyalty to Bugatti himself and to the dream of the factory which made his life wonderful against his conscience as a patriotic Frenchman who didn't want to see his beloved factory used to advance the enemy's war effort. So that became sort of the, the crux of my book. And obviously, I have fictionalized it to make a story out of it. I've combined the three drivers into one, 
and given him a new name. But I like to think, uh, Mark, and it's been confirmed, that much of what appears in the book is kind of grounded in the dramatic historical facts of that uh, crazy conflicted period when half of France collaborated with the occupation and others suffered under the occupation and a very small minority, including my guys, were active in the resistance that, that had a disproportionately large effect in assisting the Allied victory in the war. Wow. You know, what's really fun about this, and I and I've read the book before when you were on the show before, and the whole time I'm thinking, this would be a great movie. So I would assume that would be something you would love to see, being a script writer and so forth. But the tie with what was going on at the time and racing and the fact that Bugatti was a car maker. And I love the way this all kind of comes together. And one of the things you said to me when we were chatting before the show today was this really is a love story for guys. (laughs) (laughs) A romance, a romance romance novel. novel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a bit? I think it's great. Uh, Of course. First of all, it is a romance novel in the classical sense because it's a love story. Because there is a woman involved who has some basis, in fact, by the way, uh, who is the woman, and I characterize her as one of those women no one has ever said no to. (laughs) In other words, she's an absolutely beautiful, I don't know, picture a classic beautiful actress like Julie Christie or... Jacqueline Bissett or one of those wonderful leading ladies when it was not politically incorrect to be beautiful. And she herself has access to the aristocratic life. But in Alexander, she finds, you know, an honest, attractive, dedicated guy who, you know, has something in mind besides seducing her, which is not true of anybody else. So she's very much drawn to him. And so it is, you know, a romance novel captivates this vast audience, largely of women, because it's about love with obstacles. But I like to think that in this book, the obstacles are enormous. I mean, they're political and true and earth-shaking, rather than, you know, sort of frivolous and sentimental. And... The love story is obviously a love story with Claire, and it's a love story, and Claire drives the Bugatti. She and Alexander meet in a cool way because she drives her sputtering Bugatti into his French country garage Mm -hmm. with a tank of bad fuel, which he then filters through her black stocking to get her on the road again. Ooh la la. (laughs) Is right. And anyway, she says, what can I give you? And he says, I want to drive this car. Mm. (laughs) And so she she says, okay, you can drive. Matter of fact, you can drive me where I'm going. And she works with Bugatti. Whether she's a girlfriend of Bugatti or not is deliciously ambiguous. But that's how Alexander gets into the Ferrari factory, first as a mechanic, and then becomes a racing driver. So he is in love with Bugatti's and in love with Claire. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a romance novel for guys. And at the end, she herself becomes committed to the cause 
and wants to be active in Alexander's scheme, and he forbids her because of the danger. And she and he says, he, he she says, Alexander, if you try to stop me, I will never speak to you again. And Alexander says, Claire, they'll shoot you. And she says, well, then I won't speak to you again for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, well it has all the makings, like I said, of a wonderful movie and definitely would attract both men and women, I think, because of... Well, let me tell you something. I'm sorry to interrupt, Mark. It's okay. But here's my line on that. Obviously, I was a screenwriter before I was a book writer, and the way the book is down, to make a script out of it is, it's, to me, a typing job. But the point is, do you remember a movie called Chariots of Fire? Of course, yeah. Very well known. Okay. The boy's running on the beach. The boy's on the beach. This is the boy in the Bugatti. Ah. But if they still made, if Hollywood still made movies like Chariots of Fire with that spirit and that quality, I'd have a better chance. But I have not given up. And I only can tell you that I just found out that Tom Cruise owns a Bugatti. So if you have Tom's phone number, (laughs) please. (laughs) I'll give it to you when we're offline. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, send it to me. Anyway, um, that's why I call it a romance novel for guys. Because it's about the kind of love, both of cars and that kind of, kind of, Hit glamorous but easygoing, hidden and take it kind of woman that we all dream of. I love it. Well, again, listeners, I would encourage you, and, and I always tell my friends because us car folks, men or women, we are very hard to buy for because we always want expensive cars and expensive car yeah. stuff. But books, I still love the idea of holding a book in my hands. I know your book is also available on Kindle. So for you listeners that like that, uh, you can get it that way as, as well. But I like holding a book in my hands. I like oh, the, yeah. Yeah, it's just something about it. Just eh, old school, maybe. But um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on here a little bit is this passion you have for cars. Now, you touched on back you know, when you were in Europe with your dad and seeing these wonderful cars for sale right. back in the day, which if we only had large checkbooks back then and could have bought them all up, we would have had uh, what the great... Then we'd have really <laughs> large checkbooks today. Well, we'd have what the the late, and we just lost him, sadly, Peter Mullen, his collection of cars there. and Oh, yes. The French wonderful car. guy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, incredible person. But so your passion for cars, what, what do you look back from... A standpoint of today and history of a car that you would love to have. Is it a Bugatti? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, the answer is, I don't know if you've ever driven a Bugatti, Mark, and it's absolutely exhilarating. And I, I drove a Type you know, 35, which was a race car. Mm-hmm. And to drive that car for 10 blocks just about finishes you off. (laughs) They are so stiffly sprung that if you ran over a nickel, you could tell if it was heads or tails. But I love cars, and I love classic cars. But to be honest with you, I also love driving. And I do a lot of cross-country driving. And I would be thrilled to drive across America from Austin, Texas to California in a Bugatti, but it would be somewhat exhausting. No kidding. <laughs> and I, I and and I I hate to admit it, but if you get into a car 
like the beautiful S-Class Mercedes Coupe, which they've just discontinued. Those cars, even to an enthusiast who loves the feel of the steering and the sound of the engine, it's kind of fun to be in those you know, recent touring cars, which are fast, quiet, and comfortable. So the best car I've ever driven is a Bentley Flying Spur. Yeah, it would be nice to travel across the country in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, having said that, uh, and this I've got to add, and you'll love it, I have ridden in a blower Bentley with world champion Phil Hill at the wheel. No way. And that was... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was, a neighbor, he was a neighbor of mine in Santa Monica. And we drove down San Vicente in, you know, a street that anybody who's been to Santa Monica knows. And obviously, that was a peak experience, driving down San Vicente in that <laughs> screaming blower Bentley. But again, I'm not sure if that's what you want for cross-country. And since... Thank the Lord, Bentley is still in the great car business. If somebody came banging into my living room right now and said, Paul, you can have any car you want, I think the word Bentley would escape from my lips. Boy, wonderful, wonderful. And I love the fact that Bentley, at least at this point, seems to have stayed true to their heritage into what they were all about when they first came about versus, and I hate to pick on Rolls-Royce, but Rolls-Royce just, I don't know, seems to have gone down a different path these days. I'll just kind of leave it at that. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. If you're dry, driving a Flying Spur, as I did the other day, or the, you know, the two-door Bentley Continental, you're still driving a car that's that's built for a guy whose heart pounds at the very thought of an open road. They're great. Yeah, wonderful. Let me ask you this. What was the biggest challenge you faced in writing this book? Well, I'll tell you, it, it, that's, a, that's a great question. Because my enthusiasm for the cars and the history and the setting is so great that I kept having to remember to structure the book as fiction that people want to read. In other words, to put it very bluntly, you need a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. And you need to pick up the pace in Act 3. And you need something you've done at the beginning of the book to pay off at the end of the book. And you understand this as a car guy, Mark. When you write a dramatic piece, you've got to be a mechanic as well as an artist. and Ironically, when you're working as I was with material that is so interesting to me and where I could have written, you know, another, you know, 800 pages, the challenge is you got to discipline yourself as a writer to put down a structure that quite apart from the content is paced and drives the story and the reader forward. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough deal. My son is writing his first novel right now, kind of as a side fun thing to do. And right. uh, he's part of some workshops, I guess, if you will, where they meet every Saturday and they write things and they talk about things and so forth. And uh, he said, this has been way harder than I've ever imagined. <laughs> Can I give your son one piece of advice? Of course. Writing is a lonely, 
grinding business, but it has to be. And I don't mean to put anybody down, but the comfort you find in talking about your work and about other people's work, I hate to say this, but it will not help you. You've got to, you know, I I know too many people who have talked away their ideas. You've got to, it's like it's like breaking late for a corner. <laughs> you can drive you can drive fast and skillfully, but if you want to do something, you got to get out of the comfort zone. And to a driver, it is as the great French journalist Paul Frere wrote to me, a great race car driver drives faster than he wants to. And whoever writes a screenplay or certainly a novel has just got to be more uncomfortable than you want to be, and not unhappy, but uncomfortable with a total commitment to pacing and structure. Enough said. Awesome. I will share that with Blake for sure. I love it. You know, last time we spoke, and I always end our talks with a question about parting words of wisdom, and hopefully you have some new ones for us, but I want to remind listeners or share with listeners what you said before. It's very telling because this was back in 2017. I just had a talk right. yesterday with another returning guest. We talked about the current state of affairs with EVs. What you said was the Pistons engine's a last ride is still a long way off. The sense of velocity and independence on the open road is something everyone should enjoy. Now, since my talk yesterday was with Tom Nolf about the challenges the car market is facing today, and again, you said this back in 2017, now all of a sudden the chickens are kind of coming home to roost with these EVs. Car makers are being caught kind of flat-footed. Could you share maybe a new parting word of wisdom with us before I let you go? You mean besides, I told you so? (laughs) (laughs) I I was hoping that's all you had to say. I told you so. Yeah, how did you have this wisdom? (laughs) That's my parting words of wisdom. And quite apart from the technical problems that EVs are now revealing, I've decided that the metaphor of having to plug a car in is like a tether. And we do not want to be tethered. So I told you so. People still, uh, can we leave it at that? That, You know that sometimes less is better, according to Mies van der Rohe. So yes, uh, or if you talk to or read any Hemingway, he had a great way of saying more with less words. So you did a great job there. This was awesome. You know, I want to remind you listeners, you can get a copy of this book. And I really encourage you to buy a copy. uh, Arc of Triumph at arcoftriumphbook.com. It's available paperback Kindle. Um, I'll put a link to that on Paul's show notes page. So if you're uh, in the middle of uh, trying to unplug your car right now to go for a drive and you can't shut <laughs> it down, uh, you just have to go to the Cars yeah website and find it. But it's a wonderful book. I think you really enjoy it. Uh, like we say, a guy's romance. So uh, don't worry. I think, in fact, I know you're going to enjoy it because I read it as well. Paul, this has been spectacular. I really want to thank you for coming back and sharing some new perspectives on this book. Until you and I talk again, my friend. Hopefully, I'll see you somewhere down the road. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, and I love what you send. Well, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. We're on the road at full speed here, Mark. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. 
They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive, with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education, and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!